So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 28. And today is the day, y'all. Today is the culmination of over a year's worth of messages in the book of Acts. This is our 58th message and the very last one as we have looked verse by verse through the entire book of Acts. And one of the things that I want to say as we end out this study together is that it has been such an enriching study to go verse by verse through an entire book to see all the stories, to not skip over any part, no matter how difficult or how seemingly insignificant it might be. Because I believe we've seen that all Scripture can be profitable for our lives as we dig into it, as we study God's Word. But we could also go through this book again, and we could go verse by verse again, and we could learn even more. We're not going to do that, but we could do that. And, and this is the reason for that, the depth of the Word of God, that we could read it again and again and again. We could study it again and again and again and not get everything that God has placed in his word. It is so incredibly rich. The greater we dive into it, the more we're going to get out of it. And so today, we are studying the very last passage in the book of Acts. And one of the things that we have noticed is that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to empower us to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And one of the things about that is it's not just a command, it's not just a commission, it's also a promise. It's a promise that the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is going to go out as the Holy Spirit leads it and guides it from Jerusalem to ultimately the ends of the earth. It's a promise. And we have seen over and over again that the gospel has gone out, that the gospel has changed lives, that, that people are coming to know Jesus, that even though there are things that rise up against it, I want you to see something really significant today. I want you to see that the gospel is unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. That's where I believe this book ends the teaching the book of Acts, that the gospel is unstoppable. You see, I've been listening to a song recently by a guy named Brandon Lake. And one of the things that he emphasizes is the incredible power that God has to transform a life. Here are some of the lyrics. It says, how many enemies ended on bended knee, swallowed up in defeat, can't count them. How many raging seas opened in front of me? How many victories? Can't count them. How many prophecies no one would dare believe? Now it's reality. Can't count them. How many broken men given a second chance? See all the lifted hands. Can't count them. How many Thomases doubted your promises? Standing here now convinced. Can't count them. How many hospitals said it's impossible. How many miracles? Can't count them. How many paralyzed living a different life? 
go on and testify, can't count them. How many sinners saved? How many bodies raised? How many empty graves? Can't count them. And as we think about the book of Acts, we think about the massive amount of transformation that we've been able to study over the past 57 weeks. We have seen the incredible, miraculous, supernatural power of God over and over again, and the gospel is truly unstoppable. And so as we end this study today, I want to leave you with three truths about the unstoppable nature of the gospel. The first is this, according to the text, terrible tribulations can't drown the gospel. Terrible tribulations can't drown the gospel. We begin in the text today by seeing the route that was taken after Paul was shipwrecked to get to Rome. Now think about it. It would have been totally understandable if Paul and all the other people on board the ship, all the 276 people on board would have drowned in the water, but God had greater plans for them, specifically for Paul and for the continuation of his life to share the gospel in a certain city. And I don't know about you, but after being shipwrecked, I would have been a little bit nervous to get on the next ship. You know, I mean, it's like if you're ever a part of a car accident, you get really uh, anxious about driving anymore. Why? Because you've just been through something so traumatic, you know, and you're trying to, to deal with, oh, this could happen again. Oh, my goodness. But we see in the text that Paul persevered. No matter what fears he had, no matter how afraid he could have been, no matter what anxiety came his way or in his life, the tribulations that he had encountered were not going to be able to stop the spread of the gospel. So we see in verse 11, it says, after three months, three months in Malta, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Rugium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Patoli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, the biggest thing to note in this text is that it is the ultimate fulfillment of a promise from the Lord that Paul would get to Rome and would testify about him. Remember this, Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Remember when God showed up in the midst of Paul's disappointment in the midst of his difficulty, and it says, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This was a promise that he would ultimately not end his life there. He wouldn't end his life on uh, just, just where he was, but he would ultimately be stationed in Rome. See, if God had promised it, there was nothing that could deter it from happening. And listen to me. We live in a time today where we hear about all kinds of tribulations, don't we? 
we hear about wars and rumors of worse wars, right? We see advancement, rapid advancement in technology that threatens to take over life as we know it. We think about the, uh, the, the difficulty of going through a pandemic. What if there was one that was worse than the one that we just went through? We deal with rising crime and violence. We deal with social media and the interconnectivity that is not ultimately helpful. In fact, it's hurtful in many ways to our society. We see all these things and we think, God, what are you doing? We have all of these tribulations in our life and I'm here to tell you that no matter what happens in the future, the gospel is not on its final breath. The gospel is not on its deathbed. The gospel will continue through any and every tribulation that we see, that we worry about, that we're fearful about, that we will encounter. The gospel is unstoppable. And we see this in history, and we can be promised of it in the future. The gospel will not end. No matter what comes our way, no matter what difficulties we face, you think about all the different difficulties that Paul had faced that we've studied over weeks and weeks and weeks of time. Many times we could say, hey, maybe just the gospel is just going to go away. Maybe Paul's life is going to end. People plotted against him. A snake bit him. They beat him. They imprisoned him. See, here's the thing. The gospel continued on. Terrible tribulations will never be able to stop the spread or drown the gospel. Second thing I want you to see in the text here is that political plots can't kill the gospel. Political plots can't kill, kill the gospel. So he arrives in Rome, verse 17 says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation." For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters uh, from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, Paul had been plotted against over and over again. The religious body has seen their power shrink because of the influence of the gospel message about Jesus Christ. And one thing about power is when you get it, you never want to give it up. And so the religious leaders had no desire to give up the power that they had attained, and they were not happy when it was being siphoned away by this new sect, as they called it, these believers, these Jesus followers. 
on most of the book of Acts, it's called the way. And so they were not happy that this was happening. And so they were willing to do whatever it took to stop the spread of the gospel. So they plotted multiple times to kill Paul to stop the spread of the message. But we see over and over again the providential protection of God to continue the spread of the gospel. So sometimes Paul escapes through a miraculous earthquake or the overhearing of a family member about a plot. Politicians have been unwilling to let Paul go through three different hearings that he's been uh, privy to, not because they find that he has broken a law, but because they are afraid what would happen politically to their leadership if they let a prisoner go that was so unpopular with the powerful Jewish people in the area. And so they are under this immense political pressure. And surprisingly in the text, it seems that the Jewish people or Jewish leaders in Rome had not heard about Paul or the charges against him. But they do want to hear him. And honestly, this is just another hoop for Paul to jump through. It seems like over and over again, he just comes up against roadblocks again and again and again. You see, don't, don't miss this. The religious and the political leaders thought that the crucifixion of Jesus would end his whole reign and his whole influence. But here we are today. And here Paul is today in the story. And so I want you to know this. No political plot can kill the gospel. It's impossible. I believe that politics, Quinn and I have had this conversation before, politics has become an idol in our society. People, including Christians, are putting politics as the most important segment of our lives. It is not the most important segment of our lives. Let me be clear. It is not. Um, regardless of who wins elections, from local elections to the White House next year, the gospel will not be able to be killed. Okay? I want religious liberty to be upheld in this nation. Believe me. I'm grateful, as we celebrated yesterday, for the men and women who have given their lives to protect our freedom and to give us the liberty that we now sit in today, specifically the freedom of religion to open God's word. But I want you to know this, that even if laws are enacted to restrict religious liberty, and I hope they're not, but even if they are in our nation, they will not be enough to stop the spread of the gospel. How do I know this? Well, I know this from history. As we look at history throughout the book of Acts, how many times did the politicians come against the gospel of Jesus and yet it continues to spread? How many times after biblical times were different political rulers saying, we're gonna outlaw Christianity, we're gonna burn all the Bibles, we're gonna eradicate 
the gospel message from the face of the world, and no one has ever been successful. I don't just know it from history, though. I know it because I've seen it with my own eyes. I got to travel when I was in college to the largest communist nation on the planet that significantly restricts the teaching and the practice of Christianity. And I got to go in, and I got to go in under the cover of a teacher and go to a school that was teaching these citizens English. And you know what we decided to teach them, to, to help us to teach English? We taught them Bible verses. That's how we taught them the English language, by teaching them the word of God. So how do I know this? There will always be a way, no matter what. There is no political plot that can kill Christianity. It will continue on. The spread of the gospel will continue on. It is an unstoppable gospel. It is not something that is made by human hands. It is something of God, and it will be here until the end of time. Thirdly, I want you to see this in the text, that repeated rejection can't stop the gospel. Repeated rejection. Watch this, verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now listen to me. One of the things that points to the truthfulness of Scripture is how it presents things not in a rosy or in an airbrushed way, but in a truthful, realistic way. It tells you in the text that some people believe the message, but other people did not. In fact, it seems to indicate that the ones that, that believed were very few and far between. More people rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ in this account. And in many instances, we have looked at throughout the book of Acts. We see that the gospel message has been rejected many times. One of the hardest things that I've encountered in the past three years is repeated rejection of the gospel from people. Just being honest with you. As someone who reads the Bible regularly and teaches it consistently, I know that rejection is part of the Christian life, but I would be lying to you if I said it has no effect on me. It hurts. Listen, I know I'm supposed to be a scatterer of seed. I know that I'm just supposed to be obedient, that I'm just a farmer. I know that when people reject the gospel message that they're not rejecting me, 
But that's what hurts so bad. Because I know that without Christ, they're not going to have purpose in life. They're not going to have forgiveness in life. They're not going to find out who their true identity is in life. They're not going to live a life of value and meaning. They're going to miss the unconditional love that Jesus has so extravagantly poured out for them. That's why it hurts so bad. Because I know when people don't necessarily reject me, they reject the Lord. They're rejecting all of that. It's hard. It's difficult to see how much rejection you can encounter. But I want to tell you this. Rejection is never a means to stop the spread of the gospel message. No matter how much you reject over and over again, no matter how much someone rejects, guess what? The Bible says there's going to be someone who accepts. There's going to be someone who finds that faith in Christ. There's going to be someone who finds the forgiveness in Christ, the purpose in their life, the clarity on their identity, and they're going to be eternally with Christ in heaven. You know, Paul was struggling because he was face to face with an entire nation that believed and taught the Old Testament, but missed what the whole Old Testament was leading to. The Messiah, Jesus. So he followed God's leading to take it to a group of people who would listen, who would accept, who would respond, the Gentile people. And I want you to know this, no matter how much you experience rejection, there will always be some people who do respond in repentance and faith. So be encouraged with that in the midst of rejection. I want to talk about something briefly here at the end of this message that I believe it is important. I want to talk specifically about Israel. Obviously, this is a nation that is in the news. And I want to be very, very clear. I believe that as believers in Jesus, we should support the nation of Israel whenever we can. Not because it's politically beneficial. Not because it will keep other nations from launching into war. I believe that it's important to support them because from the beginning of time, they have been God's people. And as we close out the book of Acts, the condition of the Jewish people spiritually is incredibly bleak. They have rejected fully the promised Messiah. But don't miss this. Neither God nor Paul was giving up on them. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul denotes that their story will not end in unbelief, but in belief. Look at this text. I want you to see it. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. Watch this. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, let me be real clear. There will be a time 
when the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, will realize that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. When will this happen, Josh? I don't know. I don't know. But we have talked about how God's promises always come true. So I believe with all of my heart that this will happen. And in the midst of the war that is going on right now, not only should we pray for their safety, but we should pray that this is an opportunity for a drawing of the Jewish people to the truth about the Messiah. That this tribulation, right, in their life of epic proportions would not be something that would drive them further away from the truth of the gospel, but would drive them to the very doorstep of the gospel and that they would open the door and enter into the family of God. Do I believe that that's possible? A hundred percent, absolutely. And so I believe as Christians, we should be praying for that consistently. Because remember, tribulations cannot drown the gospel. So the book ends with these two verses. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to them, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts ends in a triumphant way as Paul is able to preach the gospel with boldness even though he's in captivity. In this time, we know that he writes Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul was later released, continued on his missionary journeys until he was arrested again and believed to be executed for his faith. Even though Paul was the most prominent figure of Acts, he was not what the book was about. The book was about the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ and the people that he uses to spread his message. And so I want you to be encouraged today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you hear on the news, no matter what you see or fear or worry about, that the gospel will never stop. Will never stop. God will never stop changing lives, no matter what happens around us.